Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. the empty page where he can set the scene he puts the actors on the stage or on the movie screen the characters all say the words the writer wants to hear and then my friend a happy end but when the Welcome back to another episode of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I am Christine. And today is a special day. Is it not, Christine? It's a special day indeed. We have a guest in the house. We do! A spectacular guest, a familiar guest, a, what would, like, a regular guest, if you will, right? Like, yeah, a series regular. Yeah, I think if, if he were to be, like, if we did a credits reel at the beginning of the show, I think it, he wouldn't be special guest star. I think it would be like the regular um, guest starring, da 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 da, and then it would be and Jason Fozzie Bear Nelson as regular yep. guest star. I yep. love how special you make me feel. Thank well, you. I love you coming know. on your show. Oh, you. I, we I love having you. It's great every time. You guys are the best. Oh well, you're you're a special guy. We get requests. I'm like, I'm like the Heather Locklear of this, like, very I, special guest. Well, Truly, forever. exactly. That's what it is. That was, I think, one of my favorite things about Sons of Anarchy, a show that I ended up hating, was trying to understand the politics in how they listed guest stars versus special guest stars. Because they would do a thing where it'd be like, special guest star, the guy from Lost, guest starring the other guy from Take Shelter. I can't remember anybody's names today. And it just always felt very insulting. Like somebody on that staff at one point was like, what the fuck? Why aren't I a special guest star? But I'm sure it's so weird how they like, I'll never understand rights, like legal rights and stuff like that. Like who it's so weird when I found out that that, like movie posters, like sometimes they will put one person just slightly bit higher on the poster and they had to negotiate that. That wasn't just, and Design. that's affected different – like, there are different actors who have been in movies that they are uncredited, quote-unquote, and it had to do with that. It had to do – I think, like, I know Gary Oldman on Hannibal was one like that, but there was another where, like, it was somebody who was actively in the movie, and they said, like, why aren't you credited? Oh, because my agent said if my name wasn't above the title, I can't be credited in the movie. It's like, what, oh what now? 
I know on Broadway it's it affects sour. it because on Broadway, I think if the name is above the credits or above the title, that means that if they don't, if it's their understudy, you can get a refund that day in a rain check. Whereas oh, if they're below, so if you're like, like me back in the day when I was like, I love this supporting actor in Urinetown. I want, I came here for Jeff McCarthy and that day right. Jeff McCarthy wasn't in Urinetown. I couldn't get my money back because he was, it was an ensemble and there was no above the title. So. That's like the day I went to see Grey Gardens because Christine Ebersol was in it and I, and she, her understudy was in it oh, that day. Bitch. I was so that upset. Bitch, Christine Ebersol's <laughs> understudy. I love uh, Christine Ebersol. I got to see her in War, War Paint, and she was very good. She's fantastic. I remember her, like, sometimes it only takes, like, a guest appearance on a sitcom for me to fall in love with somebody. Mm. And it was her on Murphy Brown. One episode of Murphy Brown years ago. And I was like, who is this goddess? And, you, and little I, did you know, she was a goddess of many realms. Yeah. Both of television and, and movies and Broadway. Yeah. She's can do, she can do anything. She can do it all. She could be in Richie yep. Rich. And she's a bitch in the boardroom, a whore in the bedroom, and a bear on the toilet. (laughs) And that brings us to our movies today, does it not? (laughs) Uh, So Jason, as our special guest star, regular guest star, uh, picked the movies and then had a crazy plot twist where he changed his mind on one. Um, But they are, I think, wonderfully paired movies because they are thematically tied but also tied to so much i think about what christine and i have been talking about the last couple of episodes about writing and reading and point of view and all that stuff so i'm excited to dive in jason what movies are we talking about well first of all my favorite one of my favorite horror movies underserved horror movies from the 80s i madman which recently came on tubi and i told everybody i want this to have a bigger cult following I think people have seen it. They're like, ah, maybe I know that movie, but I want it to be one of the biggest movies in the world. So I'm really pushing it hard. Keep, keep blowing I that loved, horn, baby. Keep blowing it. I loved it as a kid. It's one of my all-time favorite horror movies. So that one, uh, I Madman, which is about a woman reading a, a pulp novel from like the 40s or 50s, and things from the book start coming out and coming to life. So my and she has a cop boyfriend um who saves her and my original thought was all right like i'll do another movie where some guy saves a woman and then i was (laughs) like well that but that's every single movie as it turns out so i decided to go a little uh, we chose narrow margin to begin with gene ackman and an archer but then i switched things up to one that i thought was a lot more thematically um linked so thematically linked nocturnal animals Mm. Starring Amy Adams and other people. Jake Gyllenhaal and, well, your boyfriend, Mike Shannon. Shannon. Yes. Yes. And in this book, it's uh, Amy Adams getting a book from her ex-husband. And as she reads it, she is picturing the story and it's influencing her real life. So I thought it was very thematically uh, linked. So I'm excited to talk about these. Um, I know for me, Nocturnal Animals is a movie that I have, like wanted to talk about for you when I saw it because I saw it maybe about a year after or a couple months after it came out and it was on video and it was one that for me was always like oh yeah at some point I really need to go back into this and watch it and we should podcast about it I should write about it and at the same time I have been kind of nervous too because I still my second time watching it I still feel like is there so much more here that I'm not getting or is this or is it just 
um, the kind of movie that makes it look like there's so much that I'm not getting. So I am wildly excited to talk to both of you and get your opinions. Interesting. And well, in the chat beforehand, I did tell Christine that I did not take any notes on that movie because I had my hands over my eyes most of the time. I was so nervous. I get so anxious about like home invasion or kidnapping or like, oh my God, it terrified me. So I'm excited to talk about it. And and Nocturnal Animals also has kind of one of the craziest, most... Like, one of the best jump scares in a non-genre movie, if you will. Oh, it really does. I yes. screams. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait to get there. Yeah. So, uh, should we do go chronologically? Does anybody have an opinion on what to start with? Um, let's go chronologically. Pro- I always yeah, like I'm fine that. with that. Right, cool. Uh, And I should say, too, before we start anything, I think what is exciting for me about talking about these movies with the two of you is that the two of you are also writers um, who are actively, I think, engaged in writing and constantly kind of um, talking about it in really interesting ways. So to me, that is very exciting because we always say how like how how many movies and properties somebody thinks it's a good idea to make it about a writer and we always say, oh, no, that's like the dumbest thing to do, because being a writer on screen, people think it's more interesting than it is. And then it has this weirdness to it. Um, but I think both of these movies are very interesting in that regard. So yeah, uh, second only to being an actor in a movie is being yeah. a writer. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of, I'm Madman has both. Yeah. Hey. Uh, so who would like to give the uh, plot summary of I, Madman, which is streaming on Tubi, so we'll spoil things, so go watch it for free on Tubi. You get a couple of commercials for detergent, live with it. I think I think Jason should, because he yeah. kind of already did, and I'm going to show my hand real early and say that I don't remember a lot of this movie, and I don't think I liked it. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, this is going to be a great talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to being sold on it, because that does often happen. Sometimes I just don't click with something, and then somebody says, oh, well, but this, and I'm like, oh, actually, but you're right, this is a great movie. Mm. So. I, I'll, Are... sh- I'll show my hand quickly. This was my, I had completely forgotten that I had watched this movie before, probably because Jason had told me to watch it. And so I'd seen it years ago. And as as I was watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember this, but I don't at all. And the same thing, I watched this a week ago. And it's weird because this is a really different, cool, I agree with Jason. It's something more people should watch, but it does not linger in my head. Oh, interesting. Jason with me. Yeah. There are things in this movie that have been with me for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. since it came out. And I didn't even realize until I watched it again. I was like, oh, that's where I got that. That's where that came from. So what was Parts your first experience with, with the movie? It was one of those movies that was on HBO when I was a kid. Okay. And being like a nerdy little kid, I sure. watched it every single time it was on. You know, they play it 14 or 15 times mm-hmm. through, through the month. In between nothing June. but trouble. Exactly. So I was home all day, every day during the summer, and I just watched it every single time it was on. And I'll tip my hand a little bit. I am like such a sucker for a cutie in a movie. And I had the biggest crush on Clayton Roner when I was a kid. And I think that highly influenced my love of this movie. He's cute. And if his IMDb profile picture is to be believed, he has aged splendidly. Handsome great. Can I man. say Dilf on this show? Uh, isn't he isn't he more like a grilf, like grandfather? A little bit, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. He's, no, it's, he's it, very his, handsome. His blue eyes are staring at me. I'm gonna go back to the picture of Michael Shannon because I feel like I'm Oh out. yeah, he looks better now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always loved him. So just a brief synopsis. This movie takes place in LA, which it should take place in New York. That's what's gonna happen in my rewrite. Mm. Um yeah, so for, the book, yes, L- for the book, yes, for the book. Yes. 
It's set in L.A. and it uh, centers around a young lady. I don't remember her name. Did you write her name down? I should remember this. Uh, her Maybe. character name is Virginia. Virginia. Thank you. Um, so Virginia is a bookworm. She's a lot like little Emily when she was a little girl and mm. still today, just constantly reading every chance yeah. she can get, yeah. walking down the sidewalk, sitting on the bus anytime she can. Any free time you it. were supposed to be reading, yes. Exactly. I still remember being at your wedding and your dad saying that was the only time you ever got in trouble is when they <laughs> told you to go to bed and they caught you with a flashlight under the covers yes. reading books. And when I struck out looking life. on a third strike, but that only happened yes. once. Yes. Only happened once and never again. What a great wedding. Um, anyway, so she's a bookworm. She's, and she finds this book called uh, Much of Madness, More of Sin. And it's a 50s pulp novel. And it, it's like this gory pulp novel about a, a mad scientist, kind of poet slash scientist, who is obsessed with this woman. And because she rejects him, he cuts off all of his features and then um, hoping that she'll like him and he wants to find new features. So then she has a cop boyfriend and he comes over and they do it. And then the, later um, she, there's a sequel to this book that she keeps trying to find. It's called I Madman. And in that story, I believe he starts to replace his features with like other people. He starts murdering people and cutting mm -hmm. off their ears and cutting off their nose and their hair and their lips to try to make this perfect face of this woman will love him. And then that's when this stuff starts to happen in real life and it starts affecting the people that she loves. So the guy comes out of the book and starts killing people in her, in her circle. And that's what the basic premise of the movie. Yeah. Oh, and there's a jackal monster. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about the jackal monster that sort yeah. of springs at us in full... Uh, um, claymation. Yeah, claymation, stop, stop motion. motion. Boy, does that date this movie in a kind of wonderful way. <laughs> Sure does. <laughs> this movie is bonkers in every sense of the word. It is just absolutely insane. And it has like some over the top performances and moments and a monster. It's everything little me wanted as a kid. It, and it's so weird to me because I agree. This is a weird movie and I love that it's weird. I love the story. I, I love it's Jenny Wright is the lead and she's cool. Like she's so cool. And yet for some reason this like I know in like eight years from today, mark it on a calendar, you're going to say to me, hey, did you ever watch I, Madman? And I'm going to say, no, I don't think I did. I don't know what it is about this movie. Christine, Where? Do, what do you What do you think? Because this was your first time watching, right? Yeah, I, I, had, I knew what the guy looked like, the titular madman looked like, and I didn't ever want to watch it. It was not visually appealing to me. Um, very Nosferatu, right? Like his look was very it, traditional Nosferatu. I, it's the contacts, I think, that that do yeah. that a lot of that, I think. But also, I, I mean, it's in it's literally the text, right? It's like a Frankenstein thing. Yeah. Um, right. And I, I don't, I don't know. I like if if you're gonna do a Frankenstein thing, I want to be like interested by it. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't particularly like I didn't find anything in this particularly interesting. Um, in the in the protagonist, they their shorthand for her being like a weird girl was weird i was like oh yeah she's she's a strange she's the strange girl because she likes to read i <laughs> i don't know i don't know if there was any real character building in this like i didn't really understand anybody's motives and it it boiled down in a weird way i i don't know i just found a lot of it kind of unremarkable which is strange because it's the the writer of the second nightmare on elm street movie and i just wanted it to be weirder and mm. and like aggressively strange but it ended up kind of falling on the unpleasant end for me i i like 
I don't, I didn't, like, he was cutting people's head off, hair off, and, like, why did he make that choice? Like, why that hair that didn't look good on him? I just didn't understand. <laughs> it was it. the 80s, Christine. Looking good had a different definition than it does today. I mean, that is true, and so, like, I get why somebody would like this, but I think for me, not going in with any any nostalgia, I just saw it kind of as, like, like a bit of a clumsy version of something that I would have actually have liked to watch. Um, but that's not taking anything away from what it, what it is, because I mean, like there was one point at the beginning where I, I think I yelled, did I write this? Cause it is a, a girl having a weird relationship with a book. And that's like my favorite shit. Yeah, and then, right. and then like weird stuff starts happening to her, which is also really cool. And like that whole, unre- I don't know if I call it unreliable narrator, but like, is this really happening? Is she like, I like all that stuff, but, but like the pieces didn't equal into a hole that I actually like was mm. invested in. I, this is going to come as no surprise to anybody, but, you know, I like to get high and watch movies. That's one of my oh, favorite me too. in the world. Um, so, and I go through phases. Sometimes when I get high, I'm super creative and I craft. That's what I did for a long time. I would get high and just make shit. And then other times I got high and I was really good at science. Like I could just, you know, science made sense I cured to me. cancer. No, I'm, just, like, I'm actually I mean, responsible for it. the COVID vaccine, guys. I don't, right? But now I'm at a phase where when I get high, I am just enamored by specifically female performances and mm. movies. Like thing, And when I was high watching this movie, I'm like, this is the best actress I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I was so enamored by this woman. And as the movie progressed, my high kind of wore off a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, wait, I see the flaws now. <laughs> she's not great. Well, she's fine. Yeah. She's not great. But she's really cool. Um, yeah. And it's but Jenny Wright. Who isn't, yeah. She's not cool. But, but there's a the really thing. cool moment in the beginning of the movie <laughs> where, um, you know, she's dating uh, she's dating a cop. Uh, it's before we knew how shitty cops were. But she's dating a hot cop. And, like, she's, like, telling her friend, like, that I don't, like, he wants me to meet his parents. Like, she's so, like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want him staying over. Like, she seems, like, very noncommittal, which I really liked. Um, and I think that's why it's a little disappointing that she does ultimately need him to save her a bit. Well, um, he's kind of an asshole to he's her. He's a cop, of course he is. Yeah. Like, he's really, like, really flippant and, like, oddly distant and, like, non. he's noncommittal in his language to her. It's really right. strange. Their initial interactions, I was like, are they serious? Or-? Like, I couldn't get a good read on their relationship because it seemed like they were, like, serious and she wasn't just, like, a late night Mm. rendezvous but like he was treating her like look if you can't if you can't be bothered by me being here i'm just gonna go and never talk to you like yeah. sir are you guys really i don't know and then they introduce know, another movie. male character that clearly yes. has feelings for her that is a little more likable is a little you know but then it, it does kind of throw a wrench and like oh okay so is where we taking that and i mean we just need him to die so I did love the fact, well, first of all, let me state that this movie influenced me in so many ways. A, would in the sex scene, remember, at the beginning, I, I this is going to be a little ribald, but he is banging her from behind. Oh, that was, that was really shocking to me. I, yeah, well, as a little, like, what, 10-year-old boy when I watched this, too, <laughs> I thought... He was just doing her up the butt because that's what you do from behind. And oh, then, I like, thought Roadhouse... that about back sex scenes until I was like, I don't know, 18. Like, I didn't oh. understand the mechanics.
mechanics of of how you know women are shaped and where the how far the hole can go right um, so yeah 35 totally. shannon my old neighbor had to explain it to me because she mentioned something about somebody doing maybe her or somebody from behind i was like oh my god in the butt and she's like no in the vagina i was like how does that work <laughs> doesn't go back there she had to, she had to draw a picture i didn't know where everything was mm. i had no idea well, and let me I tell you it's not just a slit right it's not quite the same on every woman either so just throw oh, that out there fair women are more complicated fair. than you think but this movie and Roadhouse made me think that women were just getting fuck, fuck nonstop <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> they just constantly, constantly took uh, laxatives to always be ready for exactly. it. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Let me just, before we, let me slip into something more comfortable after I give myself an enema. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. But one thing I really love about this movie is, uh, I mean, I kind of ironically, but when the murders start happening and they... They seem to be centered around uh, Virginia's people she knows mm. or people in her life. It takes her so long to figure <laughs> that out. <laughs> like, there's a the part where she's like, she reads, she's trying to figure out who the next victim is, and she works with the, the one of the nurses from the show. Nurses is it works with her at the bookstore, and um, Virginia's reading the book. She's like, "All right, it's a woman surrounded by books and cats <laughs> who's kind of sexy." To the public library, <laughs> cover for me, Rhonda. Rhonda's like, "What the hell?" And then of course, Rhonda. Okay, I'll just go next. feed the cat. Yeah, exactly. In my bookstore. Mm-hmm. Have fun. And then, like, there's another scene where, like, the victim is mentioned to be, like, he has, like, a Greek features and he looks like a Roman statue or something. And then her friend, who looks like fucking Julius Caesar, sits down right next to her and she's like, go away, Barry. I'm looking for a murderer. I'm looking for somebody that looks like Julius Caesar. <laughs> uh, there's a little things in the movie that I really liked. Uh, it was like this one moment that I was like, oh, like I wrote down because it was for me the most exciting thing. And it's one of like my, we've talked about that, like the different like random things that happen in movies they get really excited about. For me, it's when, and I can never get these right, whether it's diegetic or dianetic, when like diegetic music becomes dianetic or vice versa. Oh, right. So okay. like there's a soundtrack playing and it's a, it's like her in her window looking out over the city and there's a little bit of piano going. And then she looks over in the camera pans to her neighbor who's playing the piano. <laughs> like yes. I just I'm a sucker for that kind of shit. Me too. I but love I, that. And I think it also is working for the story because it's like, oh, no, that's kind of what we're watching. And again, maybe I'm tying this very much with nocturnal animals of right as she's reading and this kind of that beautiful thing about reading is when you're sort of creating a movie as you read and visually the things you're seeing now are sort of coming to life in a different way that her uh, rival, right? One of the women who get murdered, who gets murdered is um, another woman in her acting class who got cast in something that she wanted to get cast in and then becomes the next person killed. And the woman like is such a, one of the, and I, I might, I might be giving the movie too much credit because as we know, movies, do not understand what to do with like what red hair is oh sure right and so this woman is a redhead but it's like barbie red it is not real red it it looks almost like a wig and but yeah it's like one of the holograms definitely but it's used in such a way where you know she's in this her apartment or where she dies is very very big jewel color popping out. Yeah, there's red, there's green. She's wearing a, uh, mm-hmm. I think she's wearing a red dress. Her bathroom is this like avocado green that feels almost 50s like that there's kind of a color thing happening there that feels fiction, like it doesn't feel real 
which I like, and I don't know how much of that was intentional, how much of that is, well, this movie was made in 89, and that's just the style of this particular movie, or was it working with that and kind of trying to evoke that sort of 40s pulp uh, book covers? See, I think it was. I think this movie yeah. is smarter than I even I give it credit for, because... I, when you think about the story that, you know, she's reading the story as it goes along and these people are, she's reading what's going to happen and it, it mirrors her life. It like plays with the idea of like fate. She was fated to find that book. Yeah. These are the people in her life. He wrote her life story. Yep. Like he was, so he knew that this book was eventually going to come to her. They don't really explore that much in the movie, mm-hmm. but it's too perfect for it not to be true. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think it's very smart. There's a lot. I think I've told so many friends that I think there's a hereditary level movie hidden inside this mm. like schlocky 90s or 80s movie. I think it could be really good in the right hands. There is. I mean, for a 1989 horror movie, because you remember 89 is, you know, it is the, the height of the slasher boom. Horror is a big money maker, but you it's easy to not make a complicated horror movie and make a movie. And this is clearly one of those scripts that wasn't written in a day. Like, this has so much to it. And you're right. There is more that... I agree. There is a great movie here that isn't quite on the screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really close, though. I feel like there's something underlying. And especially, I'd like to explore this relationship between her and the cop. How did they meet? How Mm. did they get together? How do people meet in 1989? That's something I want to know. The bus stop. (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot they could could explore that I think they should. I would love a remake of this movie. And I'm not saying this movie's great, but I'm saying that there's a core element that's good enough to be oh, worked for, out a lot more. For sure. That I can agree with. I think for me, sometimes when I watch movies high, I'm either overly forgiving or overly critical. There's not really mm-hmm. anything in the middle for me. Like, I, I can watch a movie, I don't know, like like the like the PTA, the the... P.W. Anderson, whatever Resident Evil Anderson made that uh, Three Musketeers movie, I can watch that Three Musketeers movie high and unironically say it's one of the best movies ever made. Um, But then I watch this and I'm like, no, not good enough. I don't like all all of a sudden, like my metrics shift in a weird way. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. This is this is a weird movie. And for that reason alone, it's worth watching. It's very competently made. Um, the performances are good. That the 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 lead woman is hot as fuck. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really fun in a lot of weird ways. But then there's just this like cloud of unpleasantness that that kept me from really enjoying it. I it was just maybe a little too mean and a little too ugly and a little too like grimy. And 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 sometimes that that's enough for me to be like, nah, not right now. Well, and I think that might be the LA thing, which I I have never lived in LA. I've been to LA once. I cannot fathom why anybody would want to live in LA. But yeah. and there is something on one hand, sometimes LA set movies don't always work for me because it just feels like just an unpleasant landscape. I like how it's used here because it's a side of LA that you don't see as often where it still is one of those things where like, it's a surprise to me when you learn that she is an actress because she doesn't seem like an actress. I mean, she's, you know, she works in a bookshop. She reads, which I think our shorthand was always like, Oh no, that's not an actress. And, but then you think, Oh, well we're in LA. So of course she's an actress. So is 
the cat in the bookstore, probably. For, it's and it kind of fits like it's LA where but like but where you have to take the bus to go places. I don't know. And that's kind of to me the the dirtiness of it that it has a different kind of set design. Like it's an old bookstore, but like it's not a New York old bookstore. It's an LA old bookstore. So it still has style but a different kind. Yeah, I think an easier like and just stylistically you set it in New York and I think it gives you more opportunity to do some things. Um, she could still be an actress at that point because everybody in New yeah. York is also an actor. So and she can read. People in LA don't read. I'm sorry, yeah, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And let's, <laughs> let me just rant about LA a little bit. I get so frustrated. This is going to alienate a lot of your audience, but I get so frustrated when people from LA talk about like the best burger. Oh man, I'm craving In and Out. I love In and Out Burger. Have if you, you don't know what a good burger is, okay. Have either of you had In and Out? No, I don't eat. I know you. I figured, that... yeah, would not appeal to you. Jason, have you ever had In and Out? Nope, absolutely. It not. is like I don't know, a little better than McDonald's. Shoot yeah. me, L.A. people, but it's just fast food. It's not checkers. Exactly. It come close to LA checkers. L.A. bothers me. I've been there a couple times. I could never live there. It is a harsh landscape, mm-hmm. a vast, harsh landscape that just doesn't make sense how far everything is from it. So that's why, again, I think it would make sense to be in New York for this remake that I'm eventually going to make. Obviously. Um, where it makes sense. You have your circle and you see the same people every day. And like, right, you know, right. you, you, it makes sense. And also there's a lot in this movie you know there's movies that i watch that i will forget how it starts every single time i mean you know the first superman movie the original Mm -hmm, richard mm -hmm. donner superman that starts with a woman telling her kid a a a bedtime story about superman like as it's the legend you could nobody will ever remember that in the entire their entire life i I rewatched that movie not long ago i feel like i I need to fact check yeah i don't know that's true it does. It's a Are you sure that wasn't like, an asylum version of Superman? No, this is the Superman. Watch it. You're going to be blown mm-hmm. away. Okay. And this movie, so, so. I forget that it starts in like a 1950s Hyperion Hotel um, oh, with a yeah. flashback. Because I watched it with uh, my roommate, Melissa, and she's like, wait, is this whole thing set in the 50s? I was like, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I forgot completely that that part existed. Did you forget my, my favorite other, like, side gag? And I, I wish the movie had more of these, but, like, it's this one little scene, and I wonder if any if either of you caught it. There's an old man at the bookstore checking out. Yep. You, you see the book he was buying? Yep. No. Jason, how do you not notice this? I don't remember. What was it? Sex for the Swinger. Oh, so ridiculous. <laughs> what a ridiculous <laughs> joke. What a cute little joke. It made me laugh. I'm dumb. I know. It's very funny. Do you remember when they were talking about, you know, like dating in LA and then they had that fat guy fat his way in the door and they even put in fat guy sounds to make him seem fatter? <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm sure the guy was probably like, hello, ladies, but they put in like, fart. That's, I mean, honestly, that's still how we handle quote unquote fat people in movies. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> really, that, that in your remake, you're going to do the same thing. Let's face it. I'm sure I will. That's what we do. That funny guy. Um, uh, I got, yeah. gotta say, too, the end of it is reminiscent to me of Ghost. 
um, very a lot of similarities because fighting in this big empty loft area and then like a piece of glass is what actually kills the bad guy. That and is really true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wondering which. I think Ghost was 88 and this was 89. I think, I think ghost... they stole the Ghost ending. Let's see, Ghost. This was 89, but was it? Uh, ghost was 90. Shell. Oh, okay. oh, Ghost was 1990. It was Ghost cribbing some notes from I'm So go- Ghost was like, we don't know how to kill, what's his name, Tony Goldwyn? We don't know how to kill him. Hmm. And then they just sat down with a, with a bucket of popcorn to watch I'm Madman with, mm, yes. yes. They're like, well, what's on HBO right now? Yeah. And then Jordan Peele with a flat top is like, it's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I rewatched oh Ghost not that long ago. I really like that movie. It's a fantastic it's so good. movie. Yeah, it really is. Um, I forget Everyone. where it was. Somebody wrote a beautiful, I can't remember if it was an essay or somebody was like talking about it in a podcast where like they pointed out how, like how great Patrick Swayze is in Ghost as a different type of leading man and like a sensitive man. And I never realized it until you watch that that way. You're like, you're right. This is a different type of leading man that, that we did not have at that time but anyway yeah that's true my mom was was the biggest patrick swayze fan in the oh, world yeah. that was her number one mm. uh crush yeah even uh, up to her 50s she was still in love with patrick swayze he was a good one he was a good one. yeah uh we should say i madman is directed by i don't know how to say his name i'm gonna say tybor takax yeah, the accent is over the second A, so Takas, but Takas. Okay. Uh, this it, man, um, I, I have not seen all of his movies, but I have seen probably more than either of you. Did you guys look at his uh, IMDb no. profile? Let's do this. Mm-hmm. I skimmed it. I yeah, uh, Christine, by skimming it, what what? basically there are two styles he is known for. What would you say they are? Um... <laughs> Hold on, I think I I think I shoved it out. Oh, yeah, like um your style of movie, like uh, <laughs> like um Hallmarky, I guess. Hallmarky, yeah, Hallmarky and Hallmarky adjacent, definitely. Yeah, the Christmas Aunt. The Christmas Aunt, A Christmas Miracle, <laughs> Memories of Christmas. It's Christmas, comma Eve, Rocky Mountain Christmas. Rocky Mountain Christmas. Yeah. Uh, let's see. There's more. Once Upon a Christmas, Twice Upon a Christmas. The other thing that he has done that is also um, up my alley. He's Ooh, made Man-Skito. quite Mansquito, Mansquito, Killer Rats, and quite a few spider-based CGI sci-fi yeah. movies. Ice Spiders and Spiders, both of which I I have seen on on rainy days. For you know this what? Guy. This right? guy works. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what is disappointing is like to me, this movie does have like a directorial stamp on it. It feels, and a lot of it is the script. It is a vi- clear, like Jason's saying, it's a very complicated script. There's a lot going on. But somebody else, if somebody else took that script and made the movie, it would not look like this. This yeah. has a very strong look. And aside from the gate, he really. Because um, he also did The Gate and The Gate 2. Aside from those, he really went straight to TV and kind of jobs for hire pretty quickly, I guess, after The Gate. Um, I mean, he has a few titles that, no, they're just like very clearly made for TV, which I love, a movie called Deadly Past, which I feel like I also need to see. Bartender on parole gets reinvolved with his previous girlfriend, only to discover he's part of her criminal scheme. Like, those kinds of movies, which are fine by me, but it's interesting that he didn't, um, I guess, get to seemingly make more movies that have more of his style. Or yeah. maybe he's just a journeyman yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I don't I, I I mean have you see, have you really actually seen in any of those Christmas Hallmarky movies? Uh one or two, yeah. I've seen, I've seen did, Once Upon a Christmas, I'm pretty sure. I don't did, remember so, them. But they didn't stand out to no. you. No, they yeah. did not feel they're not ones I remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I mean he he works. It's a job. Many directors just want to work and he works a lot when you look at uh how he I mean he's made Kind of, I guess, once sci-fi started bankrolling those very cheap movies the same time Hallmark started to, he now seems to make multiple movies a year. Yeah. Mm. Who's the director that does the the uh, Christmas movies, the Hallmark movies, and, like, the gay horror movies? What's his name that oh, we love? Oh, uh, the 1313 guy. What is his name? Uh, what's his name? 1313. Uh, his name is... His name is David Dakota. Yep. David Dakota. Yeah. yeah. It seems like this guy is like his protege, like <laughs> just following in his footsteps, kind of doing the same thing. Like a Fred like Olin Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Like some shitty horror movies and then like some shitty uh, Hallmark movies, but he probably has a mansion in the hills. I hope so. Him. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you can hope for. So I, I, so I don't know how far we got in making this the new cult classic that I think it should be. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, it is a really fun 80s slasher. That's the great thing about 80s slashers. You'll never run out. There's always one you haven't heard of. I keep finding them. I did not realize. Like, (laughs) I spent my whole life going to the video store and taking a title and then returning it and taking the title next to it. And I really hit a point where I thought I had run through every horror movie made between, like, 84 and 94. But I keep finding them. Yeah. You'll never run out. No. And a lot of them are dubbed. A lot of them have, like, you know, the sound was lost, so they dubbed it over, or the lighting's really mm-hmm. bad. There's problems with a lot of them, but they're still fun. And this is one of the – it's very professionally made. In my opinion, it's one of the most fun. Maybe not the best, but most fun. It is 100% a movie you should watch. Yeah. I Again, I don't love it. There, There is something missing for me. It's why I keep kind of forgetting about it. But mm-hmm. in terms of anybody, I mean, I think most people that listen are probably horror fans. And if you're a horror fan and haven't seen this, like, totally hits different beats that you want to see in a movie like this. And I think even though I, like, we can probably both pull lists of movies that would be good to watch with it, there is no movie quite like this. A hundred percent. Yeah, Christine, yeah, you would recommend it too? I would, I would recommend it. I, I would watch it again, too. Um Sometimes, I, I mean, as I get older, I think I realize more and more, sometimes things just don't hit right mm-hmm. when I watch them. And it's not necessarily a reflection of the movie. It, it, it It's more of where I was. And mm-hmm. this isn't something that I would watch and say, oh, I'm never going to look at that again. Like, I would definitely in like three years, like go, you know what? I would, uh, books and movies and books mm-hmm. being weird and why not look at this again? That's cool. Um, I recently watched, um, oh shit, I don't know why I started this sentence when I couldn't tell you what the <laughs> name of the movie was. I'm, I'm so We're sorry. We're here with everyone. you. We're going to get you through okay, this. Okay, here it is. Yeah. It's called I'm Dangerous Tonight. Ooh. And it's from, it's from 1990 and it stars uh, Match and Amic, who's Shelly yes. in Twin Peaks. Um, and it's, it's about like a haunted dress. <laughs> Ooh! It, when it, Amy it, turns an ancient Aztec priest's cloak into a dress, she discovers it's cursed, and whoever wears yep. it come under comes under its influence. Ooh! I'm in. So this would be a, a, a great double feature. This is the double feature I re- recommend to you. Yes. I'm dangerous tonight with I'm Madman. 
I liked I'm Dangerous Tonight more. And I think maybe because I had literally watched it less than a week mm. before that I was maybe comparing them more than I realized. Because oh, it is it is this haunted found object, very much my shit, with a female protagonist who's going through it, figuring herself out along the way. And I just maybe feel like I'm Dangerous Tonight delivered more of what I wanted. Nice. Where did you find this movie? I know. It's so fucking good. Anthony Perkins, D. Wallace, Mary Fran from Newhart. It's really good. Where was it? Was it? It was a DVD. It was not streaming, Um, right? No, I think it just got a Blu-ray release. It's it's like a made-for-TV movie. I think I could be completely wrong. Sorry, everybody. Um, You know, I don't research. Uh, but, But I think that's why it's kind of been in like like the zeitgeist that is to say like seven people were talking about it mm-hmm. um i think it just recently got a release okay and and somebody recommended it to me and i was like you know what this really does sound like my shit and it, it was nice oh it's just directed by toby hooper Whoa. yes oh, i forgot that sorry okay <laughs> Neat. it's yeah. really <gasps> a must watch if you like weird shit um Ooh, obviously is anybody going to mention the writer of this movie or one of the writers of this movie i don't know doesn't seem familiar mm-hmm. who is that cornell woolrich keep looking bruce lansbury mm-hmm. is that angela's son it's her brother whoa uh-huh. Really? uh-huh that's weird wow. wow what a dynasty right okay well top of my my list now what it's movie were really you? weird and good nice very nice I mean, it's probably not as good as Ice Spiders, but still. (laughs) Screw my movie. Let's watch this and start over again. (laughs) You know what? Yeah, that's a good idea. We already changed the movie once. We'll change again. Nice. Yeah. All right. Do we have any more to say about I'm Mad Man, Jason? Uh, no, I loved it as a kid. A lot of it's nostalgia. I'll own that. But, like, it is a super bonkers movie. I mean, there's, like... But there's body there. Like I said, there's so much more to this movie that maybe isn't presented on film, but there's it touches on like body dysmorphia and um, gaslighting somebody mm-hmm. and like not believing women. And there's a lot going on that's really interesting. So if you can see past the gloss of like it not being very well made in some ways, there's a lot to this story. I absolutely love. So everybody look out for Jason's uh, rewrite of the script that that hits all those points. Woohoo! Yeah. All right, let's take a break and come back and talk about Michael Shannon. Okay, now that we have all, uh, I don't know, straightened our hair and put on very expensive clothing, uh, I think it's time to see the other side of L.A. with nocturnal animals. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Mm, Two L.A. movies. Another connection. Uh, The other side, certainly. Um, This is... Uh, written and directed by Tom Ford based on a novel which I'm mad I didn't realize it was actually based on a novel because I would have tried to read the novel if I could have but I did not realize in time. I was going to ask if you had seen it I figured if anybody I read it sorry I figured if anybody had it would have been you and I'm really mad because like and also in hindsight of course this is based on a novel like this 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 would be a this is the movie that feels very much that way Um, and I'm so curious how it plays on the page because it 
it feels like one of those books you would read and say, oh, how would you do this? Because mm -hmm. it is so much about perspective. And I think that's a big part of it is whose perspective are we seeing? Who is who is what character? Amy Adams is reading this book. We assume that Jake Gyllenhaal is playing Jake Gyllenhaal. But is he? Maybe that's Amy Adams. I don't know. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Lots to think about. So much. Um, this was my second time watching it. Uh, both of yours as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, so who's given the synopsis? Again, we're spoiling. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. I don't think I can. So Christine, Christine um, step up. I do actually know what happens in this movie because I, <laughs> I wrote about it at one point, so I, I kind of had to. Um, but that none of that came from well, this last little watch. ringer over here. Oh, I, I know. I, I didn't know. I don't take any notes no. on the movie. I just wrote but, an essay about it. No, yeah. but I didn't. I didn't remember. No, but that's fine. I have a trouble. I have trouble with plot sometimes. But basically, this movie is it is about Amy Adams, and Amy Adams's character is a is in the art world, and she's very unhappy with her life. And we see through a series of flashbacks that she used to be with Jake Gyllenhaal, who was a a struggling writer. But her their 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 worlds were too different, and her mother uh, didn't want them to be together. And in the end, uh, the 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 matriarchal side of Amy Adams won out, and she ended up being with Cannibal Army Hammer. I don't know if he's a cannibal in this movie. We just have to assume he is. I mean, I always um, do. And and then she doesn't have a very nice life. She's very sad, but she has it all. But she's very sad, which is an interesting mm -hmm. thing to think about. And I often like to think about our perception of, of who is happy and who should be mm. happy and why. But she is not happy. Um, it, it, all at this time, she gets a manuscript in the mail uh, out of nowhere from Jake Gyllenhaal saying, hey, I wrote this thing uh, basically because of you, is my inference. And how about you read this? So while Amy Adams is being unhappy and her cannibal husband is cheating on her out of town, she reads this manuscript and has a journey with it. And intercut into the film, we actually see the manuscript being played out. Um, it is about a, a family on the road who gets uh, terrorized, attacked. The mother and daughter get murdered. And then the husband has to, you know, enact vengeance and the vengeance ends up destroying everybody um and like what emily said this fully is about uh who thinks they're the main character and who actually is the main character so Ooh, i want to hear your theory right off the bat who uh because i think you said this is about amy adams so how keep going I, I, so the, I think it's really interesting because I think there's a couple different ways you could look at it because I think the movie does something really sly mm. there's a couple really sly things with its casting um, oh, so yes. Jake Gyllenhaal plays himself in the flashbacks he is Amy Adams' ex-husband but Jake Gyllenhaal also plays the male protagonist in the novel the only reason he does though is because Amy Adams is reading it and Amy, Amy Adams casts him mm -hmm as right. that character and she then proceeds to cast the wife as her sometimes doppelganger isla fisher uh -huh. which is hilarious to me that <laughs> yes, they did that yeah um so immediately off the bat the way that amy adams is reading the story is the only way we can experience it yeah and that's not necessarily the way that jake gyllenhaal proper wrote it in my opinion i don't think Amy Adams assuming, I mean, when you write a book, blah, 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 every character is you, blah, blah, blah. But then when you read a book, 
every character is kind of you. You are inferring certain things. You are placing right. certain things on them. And and I don't know that we can assume that Jake Gyllenhaal wrote that book with him as the main character. To jump to the ending, because um, yes. again, we're spoiling, watch a movie, that the movie ends, she's finished the book, and she has said to him, I'd, I'd like to see you. He <gasps> says, okay. Love it. And then, so she, we see her getting dressed up to go to dinner, and she's getting dressed up, and then she stops and, like, takes off some of, like, she is, and I mean, also the, we'll talk about the visuals of the movie, but she is very expensively dressed, and then she takes her lipstick off. Like, clearly she's like, oh, no, this is a little too much. I I should be old Susan to him now. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she shows up at the restaurant, and she sits down, and she's alone, and you realize he has stood her up, and he never shows. She she essentially undoes herself to try to become this old version of herself that he might recognize. Yeah. But what she doesn't understand is that this novel is him killing her. She is mm-hmm. now dead. He has closed that part of his life off. Because she even acknowledges what she did to him is unforgivable and essentially could, could have potentially ruined his life. So he then wrote this story to destroy that part to put an end to that part and him not showing up is fucking amazing yeah. because he is the center of this story. Yet we never actually meet him. Yeah. We meet her, oh. we meet her memory uh-huh. of him and we meet this male protagonist in the story who isn't him. It's, it's a character. Yep. And then we never actually see him. It's such a power play. I yeah. love it. Yeah, and what same. we haven't said yet either is that she, one of the things that he's getting revenge on is yeah. uh, that she aborted their child mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. With, uh, uh, when she was younger, which every woman has that right. Well, mm-hmm. should anyway. Um, but <laughs> I think he held this resentment against her. And that's why in the book, both the, he had to kill off his, his ex mm-hmm. and he killed the child too. And it was basically his fault that it happened. He's making it. And so he's not, he's saying he's not but blameless. So is it his either. fault or is, um, is the Jake Gyllenhaal character who is, cause I think on, on to jump into the novel aspect, right. Mm-hmm. His journey. And by his, I'm saying Tony, I'm not saying necessarily, uh, what is, um, his, his, uh, married name. Not as Tony. Tony is the book. Him. Edward. Edward, okay. So, Edward... So, we're not talking about Edward. We're talking about Tony, right? In the book. um, And the way that whole... I mean, that whole sequence is a really well-done sequence of violence in that it's one of those... It's a home invasion on the road, basically. And it's... You're constantly looking back, because you know he is constantly looking back at it, thinking, what could I have done? And really, within the book, there's nothing he could have done. No right. matter what he was going to do in that scenario, these two cars were going to fuck with him to where something terrible was going to happen. And sure. Long stretch of road, no cell reception. No cell reception. Completely... A cop car comes by and goes right by. There is yeah. really, I mean, he's trying to play it non-aggressively, probably passively in his mind, or the way I think we're supposed to take it is, oh, he's too passive, he's too passive. But had he been too aggressive, he would not have won. It just would have escalated yeah. faster, and that would have happened. There is, it's very faded, I think, in a lot of ways, where there was there was no way. And again, and like as I say this, it's so funny to me because I kept thinking about this too with the Michael Shannon character, who we'll get to. That it doesn't matter. It's a it's a book. There was no way to get out of it. Well, it didn't matter because it 
it's this scenario that was created in order to have this happen. Um, and so his arc in that book is clearly feeling as though he wasn't good enough. He couldn't stand up to these men. He couldn't protect his wife and daughter. Uh, and so then at the end, him finally agreeing to vengeance when it still feels like it's not really what he wants, I think. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah, and, you, you... And people blame him as well. The character, the Edward yeah. character, uh, or wait, which one is the character? Which uh, one Tony is the, is the character in the book. Tony. The, the character in the book, Tony, gets blamed, too. A lot of times people are like, oh, so you just left him? You just, just like them little go? statements, smaller, yeah. smallest it's, statements. It's a, it's a meditation on, on masculinity, right? Yeah. Like, there is, no, there, there is no way to be the correct masculine. Right. You, if, especially if you want to not be toxic. And, and I think that's Michael Shannon's character is kind of, he he is he he brings us that part of the story because he is very he's outwardly judgy at first and then at the end he he literally says it wasn't your fault there was nothing you could have done and i think i think that's an interesting he if if you do allow jake gyllenhaal in the book to be real jake gyllenhaal in the movie he that's essentially his he that's Mm. the way he can forgive himself he the, the the Michael Shannon character offers him a certain amount of absolution, and, which which is great that the character is able to get that. But absolutely, I mean, you didn't protect your yeah. family. That's right. that's the crux of that story. You are an impotent man because you weren't able to do the one thing you're supposed to, which is protect your family. But there was no way he could have, like you guys have said, he can't protect his family. So I think it's funny that, that Amy Adams reads, reads the story and thinks that she maybe is the wife character. Mm. That to me is what that casting says. Like, I yes. don't want to cast myself as his wife, but she's going to basically be me. Right. She's right. the person that once put my picture on her Christmas card and sent it out and nobody realized that she wasn't it, me. <laughs> yeah. Essentially that's what she did. But in reality, I think mm-hmm. that when, Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie is writing this book. Aaron Taylor Johnson is actually Amy Adams. She is the destroyer. He mm. he has Ooh. written her. He has written her as this force that that has ruined his life and that he needs to battle against. He needs to face. That she oh, is this because uh, there's a kinder this... way to look at it, which is that Amy Adams he didn't is... show up. Well, he doesn't show up. He... You're right. He don't want to be kind. He don't want to be kind. But <laughs> if you want to be kind to Amy Adams, which is really not a reason to, because she is kind of a cunt in this movie in a lot of yes, ways. She is. That she, if if let's say Amy Adams is, is Tony, that she does destroy everything, but she didn't, but she was like faded. Because I think there's that's the other part on in the real world side of it. Is that Amy Adams is when we meet her at, at different points, we see she's unhappy with her life. We see we backtrack. She was an artist, right? She goes to New York to study art, but is at a certain point decided I'm not an artist. I am I'm an appreciator of art. I'm, a, I'm an art director. I'm an art curator, but I'm not an artist. And but I don't want to be my mother, right? My mother is a is a judgmental societal uh very money-based um person i don't yeah i I, my money is my mother is a republican i don't want to be that and i mean that is why she marries jake gyllenhaal is obviously she loves him but she loves him because he represents this not being my mother not taking that route and 
of course, in the movie, she is fated to become her mother no matter what. And she makes the decisions of her mother. And I don't know, there is something to, if you, I agree, I I think, I I need to think more about her being Aaron Taylor Johnson. But if you read it as she is Tony and she is both destroyed things, or let them be destroyed because they were fated to be destroyed, and then ultimately destroyed herself in the process, because that's also what happens to Tony, right? Tony takes revenge, uh, not reluctant, I mean, he's kind of goaded gently into it by uh michael shannon as as roberto andres gently (laughs) (laughs) nothing gentle about that steve that whole segment was so tense and terrifying to me which one the but but like michael michael it's michael shannon's idea right it is never jake gyllenhaal the entire time is just he's he's following the book he's doing everything he's he can uh, Michael Shannon's like, trust me, it's this guy. If you don't say it's this guy, they're gonna let him go. Okay, it's this guy. And then, of course, you know, no, legal he system. He knows blah, blah. it's that guy, though. He know he he knows it's them. He he. I think he's just waiting, like the the masculinity thing. He's mm. waiting for Michael Shannon to tell him it's okay. Yeah. I think he's waiting for permission. I don't think he's waiting for the idea. Well, oh, you, but you think he would have done anything outside the law without Michael yes. Shannon? I I think he I was, think no so I think he all. was waiting for Michael Sh- Shannon to tell him he could. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely disagree. I don't think he wanted any of this yeah. up to oh. the very last moment. But but do, but is, I think wanted is loaded. You don't sometimes you don't want what you have to do. But like I don't know that he knew another way out of it. He wasn't letting it go. Like a year had gone by, right? He was still not okay. Yeah. I don't know that. I think would, but it's, be okay. <laughs> would anyone be okay? No, 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 no. No, I don't think so either. I just I just don't know if, if I don't know that the story is presenting us with an alternative. I think mm. that, that was kind of the way the direction he was always going in. Um Well, but there's I mean, there's the moment where Amy Adams is in her art gallery and there's a poster that just says revenge. And she's yeah. like, well, Was that always there? Where did that come from? And then Jenna Malone in like one of my favorite random cameos just comes by in oh, her crazy so good. Uh, Beetlejuice-esque outfit and is like, oh yeah, remember you bought that. Uh, that there's that element of fate, which I think is sometimes a very easy thing. Like, I don't always love that as a plot device because it is very like, well, if, if you're going by that rule, then what's the point of anything? Um, but it it works for me here just because I think it it takes some of, especially that book where it's like, I, because I, I'm wondering, at one point I remember thinking like, well, what happens to Michael Shannon's character? Because we, we don't actually know. They split up because they Michael Shannon says, like, I think he went this way, so I'm going to go that way. You go this way. He might have gone there. And I think watching it this time, I'm like, oh, because he knows that uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson went back to that house. So he is telling Jake Gyllenhaal, go there, take my gun, and says, you know, I have another gun, but we don't know that he has another gun. Like, And again, as I'm saying this, I realize it's stupid because Michael Shannon's character doesn't exist. He is a... <laughs> No, he's a character in a novel that is all of this, but that then we never see Michael Shannon again. And it feels in a, in a certain way like, oh, does that, I feel like, should we have? We're like, no, because it doesn't matter. I don't know. I, you know, I I think that the uh, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character was supposed to be Army Hammer. Like, he painted him as the villain of the piece. And I think that he was very forgiving, if we are taking that Isla Fisher, Isla Fisher was Amy Adams in the book. I think that he is placing all the blame on Aaron Taylor Johnson for this man that destroyed their life. Everything could have been fine 
if this guy hadn't come in and taken his family away. The, there, you That's have another. to you have to subscribe to certain gender roles to yeah to I don't I don't I don't I don't know like there's just there's a part of me that feels like this this movie is super deliberate like obviously I have to read the book but the film is super deliberate yeah. and it feels so weird to just assume that certain people are stand-ins for certain people just because of just because of the way they're visualized because they're visualized through Amy Adams's eyes which yeah. are inherently flawed sure. but I mean I do think it's interesting that. That, that 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 I don't know. Do you? I we see, don't know I anything don't, about Edward. I, and I don't get thing. any Hutton. From, I guess Hutton is the character's name, um, which is uh, Army Hammer. I don't get any of that in Aaron, Aaron Tyler Johnson at all because we never really. And correct me if I'm wrong. We never hear Edward confront the character, like the existence of Army Hammer. Right. It it is only about. Amy Adams, uh, you know, you want to be, your, you're going to turn into your mother. You didn't want to be that way. But there is no, you know, he shows up and he sees her in the car leaving the abortion clinic with Army Hammer. That feels, again, that was all Amy Adams's choice. I don't think Edward is, cares, I, I don't think he sees Army Hammer in this. I don't think, mm. and we don't either, right? Army Hammer shows up twice yeah. in the movie, like three times, like, he's he's there just to establish, kind of, oh, this is, this this is the path she took, um, and, and he's cheating on her, and he's losing his money, um, but this is this thing to give you context. I, I don't, but I don't think he was, had anything to do with anything, in the end. I, I agree, wow. I, that, that was my read too. Yeah. I don't. She would have left because, him without Army Hammer. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that he would really play into whatever Edward's dealing with. You know? Interesting, because yeah. you know you see it a million times on like uh, in talk shows like Jerry Springer and whatnot when there's a man and he's cheating on two women and the two the two women would go after each other. Mm-hmm. Right, like right. it's because they, they saw each other as the villain and not this guy that's like fucking everything up. I think that uh, that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character was like, you know, this man poisoned my woman and like, you know, no. corrupted her mind, made her get an abortion. He's the one. He's the villain of this piece. So I think that's how he painted him as Aaron Taylor Johnson. I, I think I think that Amy Adams is, is her character is, is truly awful, like more awful than I think the explicit text says. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that maybe maybe Jake Gyllenhaal, I think that Jake Gyllenhaal knew that that she was capable of, of, of deep cruelty. Um, and she, everything she does in this movie illustrates that she assumes that because he sent her this manuscript, that meant that like, he was, he was freshly available to her again. Like now he is an option in my life. I, I removed that option, but now he's an option again. It it just felt very, um, very vain and very self-centered she's just such a self-centered person and i think the movie does explicitly tell us that she's very self-centered and i i think that if you don't look i think you have to look at the the novel within it through that lens Mm. because the movie is telling us how 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 bad she is and i think you're right yeah i'm sorry no, well, I love that scene between her and Laura Linney, who plays her mom. Oh, so good! Like, that hair, oh, that hair. Oh, I love her. But it's so funny that like, uh, when Laura Linney says, "You know, you're he's not on your level," and Amy Adams is like, "You know, mother, why do you have to be so classist?" and blah blah blah. And the and uh, Laura Linney says, 
uh, she was like, why do you always think the worst of me? I'm not talking about class. I'm talking about just you as a person. It's going to fall apart. He doesn't have your strength. He doesn't have your will. And she's saying all these things like it's not going to work. And he's not as driven as you are. And then ultimately, Amy Adams gets into a relationship with Army Hammer. What I got was that he was very much the same. He wasn't as driven. She is driving him to be successful. He is struggling. But she is trying to make him be this person that he's not. Like, she wants him to be a successful businessman, but he is not. He's not good at it. He wants to go to New York and fuck around. He doesn't want to be a business guy. And she's trying to make it happen again, trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Anybody agree? I don't know that I get enough of him to know that because we know. Yeah. I think that she fully believes that the people in her life are accessories. So that would would track. She she is so vain. It really hit me this time just how concerned she is with outward appearances Mm -hmm. and how miserable she is because of it. But yet she just recycles. You think, oh, she's reading this and she's thinking about all the wrongs she's done and how she hurt this person she cared about. She's going to change her ways. But all she does is more of the same shit. It's it's really frustrating, but then you have to, there is this, the aspect of like, well, I don't want this person to be unhappy. Like, I don't like when people are unhappy, but just because she's rich doesn't mean she should be happy, but it's like she's actively seeking out things that make her miserable. You feel, it's interesting. I mean, it's Amy Adams also, which... I mean, I think, you know, uh, Tom Ford cast her because they are friends, because he wanted to work with her. Um, And yet it it is such interesting casting because I think Amy Adams is a really likable actress, right? Mm -hmm. She's somebody that anytime you see her, your instinct is, oh, she's playing a, like, she's, you know, she's enchanted. She's, you know, has that, like, sweet open face that you automatically assume she's going to be your protagonist and you're sort of on her side immediately. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you cast a a colder actress in that part. Um, again, they may better off the head, top of my head, but somebody that is known more for being able to kind of do the natural coldness. Like a Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, that's a good one. Does it, does it, um, I think on one hand, it's probably would have been harder for it would have been a more disliked movie by a lot of people off the bat because they would have just said oh i hate this i hate this character i hate um this right. is just a rich snob but on the other hand i think it also makes it easier to see that right away um as opposed to i know for me when i'm watching it my instinct is i i'm kind of taken in by her glamour because I, i'm almost a sucker for like good fashion and good art design yep. and like that house the way she dresses like oh she looks my, she's never looked more beautiful it's, it's, she's stunning and it's hard not to be seduced by that a little bit and i and i wonder if that is a on one hand a good way to pull you in so that you are connected to this person that you might otherwise have a really hard time maintaining a connection with but also does it make it harder to see some of what you should be seeing because you are naturally emotionally tied in some way to this performer. That's a really good point. Cause at the beginning of the movie, when she gets the manuscript, it's like, you know, wrapped in brown paper or something and she's opening it and she gets a paper cut. And she's like, oh, Jeeves, I got a paper cut. He's clearly like, uncomfortable and she makes him read a very personal note yeah. out loud. Yes. 
Like, what is this bitch doing? Well, end of that, every person she speaks to after, because it comes up, like, two or three times, where she will talk to, like, I guess it's her her other assistant at work, um, where she just kind of starts talking at them of, well, my ex-husband who wrote this book, and it's beautiful, but it's terrifying, and and it's very, like, you're right, she is so self-centered, and you you see that, especially the second time you watch it, how she just, she doesn't take in, she just puts out. Mm-hmm. And it is a really interesting. And again, I think it would have been more obvious with a different actress in that part. But then I'm I'm torn on whether that would have been a a good decision or not. Is there a um, maybe it's just I'm reading into this, but was there a clear age discrepancy between Amy Adams and Army Hammer? Like, was there supposed to be? Was that part of the story, or was that just a weird casting thing? No, I think they're, it seems like they're in grad school together is how they meet, so I took it that they were the same age. Oh, yeah, Yeah. I never thought of that. I thought he was younger. Because looking at it now, there is a 12-year age difference, which isn't that much, but I think we're just so conditioned to have an older man and a younger woman in films now that it seems very glaring when there's a younger man and and Mm -hmm. a slightly older woman. So taboo. Hmm. Yeah, I because they met in a what looked like a grad school class. I just assumed they were about the same age. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, so here's the main question that we haven't addressed yet. What were the dancing fat ladies about? What the hell does that mean? How does that tie in? I did. I you know I still don't know and i'm guessing actually no i i would i could spitball a few theories uh christine do you okay. have any like hard solid theories on that before i, I start I ruminating have, i have nebulous thoughts but mm-hmm. i don't have like a hard theory i don't yeah. do, you, do you want my nebulous thought let's start with your nebulous thought and we'll go from there i think a lot of it has to do with kind of what i said earlier about the perception of joy and happiness and yeah. who should be happy and and amy adams is a perfect person with a perfect life and she is absolutely disgusting and miserable mm-hmm. yeah. and these women who we would look at maybe as less than or mm-hmm. not perfect or a problem are being portrayed as carefree joyful. and joyful yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i think it's i think it's kind of something i could be making this up i'm not tom ford um but like just maybe our perception i think it was a perception setter at yeah. the beginning like this is gonna this is gonna challenge your perception of of situations you think you understand yeah and that everybody you know especially from that point on basically everybody in this movie is beautiful aaron taylor johnson who is playing a yeah, redneck sure. gross dude who probably hasn't showered in a week but yet somehow has like rock solid abs like yes everybody from this point onward is gorgeous it's a movie directed by a fashion designer who knows what uh, or has a very keen eye for beauty or what his definition of beauty is. And I, I agree with that. I think there is something to opening your movie with, oh, here is, here is something that you would never, most people would never, the first word that comes to their mind would not be beautiful. Um, it might even disgust some people. It might make people really uncomfortable. It might do a lot of things. But the longer you watch it and that it does go through the credits, there is something very, like, pleasant and kind of, like, you, you feel you feel joy. You feel triumph watching that. And then you turn to these people that are classically, traditionally 
beautiful and they are all fucking nightmares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it speaks a lot to like joy coming from within, not without, and mm-hmm. her true happiness. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you're right. She looks gorgeous. She yeah. has the great house. She has the great car. She has the great husband. Seemingly the perfect life, but mm-hmm. what, what does that say? Well, and even so when they keep saying right. to when, you know, her mother is saying it and when Amy Adams eventually says it too, like, this, you know, this isn't life. Like, I want more. Well, what, what do you, is it, and you just want materials? Like, that that's the more she's talking about because she's mad that Jake and Gyllenhaal only wants to work in a bookstore and write a novel. Mm-hmm. And you look back and you're like, oh, okay, but you, you said you did not, that that was enough for you. And people change, granted. But the idea that suddenly it wasn't, and what was it she wanted? She just wanted money, essentially. Right? Yeah, well, going back to the like the Army Hammer thing and her falling into the same trap, I think through this whole movie, you know, he's having a lot of financial trouble and she's constantly encouraging him. I think she has the same life now, thought that she would have a different life with this guy who's studying business. But she had 20 years with this guy. She had 19 years of the life she quote unquote wanted. Right. But it's still it's the same as it would have been with Jake Gyllenhaal, maybe him struggling a little bit and like not finding success until much later. It takes a while to get a book published. So do Don't you like, fucking think, know it. Here, here's a thought. Do you think that had we not had the line or two about Army Hammer having financial difficulty and Amy Adams walks into her beautiful apartment, or beautiful house with her thousand dollar shoes and everything else and she gets that manuscript? Is she in a different place to read it? Not when she does not know that her finances might be crumbling. Do you think that gives gives her almost one more out or one more easy? Oh, right. Of course, you can see things in this book now because this world you built might be falling away anyway. You see, possibly, but I never read it. Like where their finances are crumbling, I think they are fine. She yeah. she makes more than enough. Mm-hmm. I think she's supporting this guy in his little business venture so he can do whatever he wants. She is keeping things afloat so he can like kind of live this dream that he wants. Mm-hmm. It's the dream of like, you know, dating a finance guy, but it's still, he's struggling and he's trying every day. I mean, he might be a shit, but he's doing, and the same thing would have happened with Jake Gyllenhaal. He would have worked in a bookstore and struggled to get his book published for years and she would have had to support them. This is just outwardly, it appears as though it's better, but it's really the same trap. It's just a yeah. different person. I think I think a thing that that I the the movie does go out of its way to to point out a couple times is that Amy Adams did at one point want to be a creative person. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think that that lack of I think at, at a very base level Jake Gyllenhaal represents that creativity that that potential to be a creative force and not just a cog in a wheel. And the abandon and think, the idea that he could he could give up the safety net and say I, I might not make money but but damn it I'm gonna try I think right. there's a there's a bravery I mean I'm biased, yeah, I agree but there's a bravery to that mm-hmm. and I think that Amy Adams took took the coward's way out and I think when she got this finished polished manuscript that she believed was good we haven't even talked about the fact that it might not even be good mm. it might not I think it might not be good but she <laughs> thinks it's good so now she's like, all right, this dude's back on the table for me because he is now successfully creative. So maybe mm. I can go hang out with him and I can reinvent myself and be a successful creative too. It's just this whole thing where she's trying to find ways to complete her life using other people. Yeah. It's mm, a good point. Yeah. 
Yeah, what a, I love this what movie. A good parent. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. And I will say, as I mentioned before, I was so anxious through much of so much of this movie. They do a really good job at building tension in a lot of scenes. Um, and the staging, the the last bit, do you think was Jake Gyllenhaal's character within the book, was that a suicide or was that an accident when he shot himself? I took it as accident. Christine, what about you? I didn't think about it because I think that they're the same thing at that mm. moment. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that he, he, he knew that that was it, that there was nothing after that. Right. And, and whether, however that kind of plays Mm-hmm. Then, but like, uh, but I think it's a I think it's a worthwhile question. Yeah. And maybe it's and also again, if it was ambiguous to us watching it, was it ambiguous to her reading it? Mm, right. Yeah. So I, like, I, I took know. it as um, sort of a of course he would fall on his gun because he wasn't he wasn't cut out for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Sure. This idea that, Oh, you have to physically take vengeance on somebody who is physically stronger than you. Not every person is built is, is designed for that. And to go back to that masculinity, it was, it, it's also, I think an interesting um, line that comes up when Aaron Taylor Johnson is defending himself in a way by saying, well, I, the reason I did it is because they told me I was a killer. They told me I was a rapist. If you tell me that, I'm going to do it. My girlfriend said I was cheating on her, so I cheated on her. Um, your wife screamed rape, so I raped her. That this this idea, too, I think is really like what makes that scene for me really... Um, it adds this layer to the Aaron Taylor Johnson's character, which even to Christine's point, if you go back and play it as that Susan... It's the, well, my mother always said this would be my yep. life, and now yep. it's yeah. my life. Oh, and now yep. Jake Gyllenhaal is telling me I've become my mother, so I guess I have become my mother. That, it, that yeah. It's mm. so funny that you, it's so funny because there's a certain level of agency that I don't think Amy Adams thinks she has. Yeah. And I think that is reflected in the Aaron Taylor Johnson character. Yeah. Like, oh. I, this is, this is just the track I got put on. Oops. Right. You're blowing that, my mind right yeah, now. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. He's a smart one, that Christine. We also have to think that Jake Gyllenhaal not showing up at the end, we can take that as an act of revenge, but yep. it also may be an act of mercy as well. Like Agreed. Because mm-hmm. the revenge, true revenge might have been reconnecting and fucking with her and stringing her along and you know doing Love all that. these things to mess with her head. He might have just said, you know what? I have to forgive. You're out of my life now. Right. I don't need to pursue this any further. I've sent you the book. I was going to go down this route, but now I've realized I don't need to. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's so much. Have either of you seen Tom Ford's other movie? I have not. Uh, I a long have, time uh, ago. A sing- Is that a single man? A single man. Uh, I always get confused yeah. with a simple man. I, I don't know which is which, but I know it's yeah. the one I haven't seen. This is a single man. I did see it with Julianne Moore. Interesting movie. Very slow, very plotty. Mm-hmm. You can tell that it's a, a first, first film. film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still, really well done. I think he didn't Julianne Moore get he not he directed Julianne Moore to an Oscar nomination. So possibly, I think Colin he Firth definitely got it. It, yeah. it. It's so interesting too, just because he. I mean, I I find fashion designers very interesting as artists, just because it's a very mm-hmm. different type of art that requires a, a different brain than filmmaking, say, or or some other styles. And I mean, this again, this movie looks is jaw droppingly gorgeous to look at. Yeah. 
Um, but that he also is really good at directing actors and directing, and granted, he's, he has a pretty good cast in this movie. I don't know if you noticed, but there are a lot of people in this movie who have won or been nominated for Oscars. But the way they interact is, there's, and that it's not easy. It's, it's not, and like, I don't know, there, there's different decisions that could have made some of these more traditional, that Jake Gyllenhaal is weak, but we know he's not weak, he's Jake Gyllenhaal, but he feels weak. It's it's a really well-made film. <sighs> yes. Yeah, he gets the best out of his actors. I, I think yeah. he's a really good director that, that directs both space and um, and actors really well. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times there's a director who is great with like set design sure. or like geography. So you know where everything is. Like Kenneth Branagh is like that, I think. Mm, where he, yeah. you know where everything is in yeah. his movies. James Wan, like, I'd say the same. Yeah, like spatial awareness is really big in, in filmmaking. I appreciate that. May not be the best with actors, mm-hmm. but at least you know where everything is. You sure. know where that fucking scissor coffee table is in a Kenneth Branagh film and it's going to come back later. <laughs> The um, other other cast members that are pretty fun in this movie, um, I had forgotten that Michael Sheen is in this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I I always get happy for a Michael Sheen sighting, and that um I've, I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong because I'm sure it's like pronounced Scandinavianly, but uh, Andrea or Andrea Risenborough. Oh yeah, she was the one that was in a uh, Possessor, She's right? She's in Possessor. Oh my! She, I mean, oh, she, okay. What one of the, the like, best actors working today that never is the same person in any movie yeah. and never looks the same. And in this, she's got like black curly hair, uh, and it's one of those like I my jaw dropped. And I'm like, wait, is that her? Oh my gosh, it is her. Yeah. But just in a caftan oh, in her like gosh. little curly Sue haircut, With her gay I husband, and just being happy oh. that he'll never, never have another woman in his life. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, oh, I'll, God, I'll take a side story about their life. life. Totally wearing totally. a muumu all the time. Oh, God, yes. I want to be her. Seriously, she's also in my favorite episode. One of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror, though. Oh, what I, is it? Crocodile. Crocodile. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yes, yeah, yes. I like her a lot. Uh, and oh, there's a guy in it, Robert uh, Aramayo, one of the. Is he one of the, the boys, one got, of the... Yeah, ones who runs them off the road and mm-hmm. ends up killing the family. He was in a show that I watched recently called Behind Her Eyes, which is a British, like, miniseries mystery. I have been told to watch that. It is very unique, and you do... I will say, I have never in my life guessed a twist ending. I am just not good at it. Even when I saw The Sixth Sense and, like, there's the reveal at the end, I remember turning to my friend in the theater, and I was like holy shit, his wife is dead? And she's like, are you fucking stupid? Like, it took me a while to figure out what was going on. Like, I never guessed a twist. And this one, I did. And it's not that it wasn't really well done. It's just that I was thinking about it the entire time. Everything that happened. And, like, I had, like, 20 or 30 theories before I landed on it. And I was like, I think this is it. So it's a really good, it's only, I think, six or seven episodes. And they're, like, 45 minutes. It's really well done. So I, I recommend that. If you guys are in the mood for a mystery. Nice. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about the jump scare, but man, that jump scare, that the cell phone video. Wait, which was... one is it? I don't remember this jump scare. When she's in the art gallery and Jenna Malone that. shows her the her phone, how she's watching like her uh, kid on a nanny cam. Yeah. And Amy Adams takes the, ca- takes the phone and looks at it. And then Aaron Taylor Johnson just like appears in the phone. Oh, yes! Right? Oh, I forgot that! The first time I watched this movie, I had sat down to watch it, and I ordered, like, food off of, um, like, Seamless, 
and I'm watching the movie. I'm really into it. The doorbell rings because my food is here. I pause it. I get up. I get my food. I sit down. I put my food down. As soon as I hit play was when the baby thing happened. <laughs> oh, God. And on one hand, it was like, oh, man, that broke what probably would have been a really effective jump scare in the middle of something. But the other hand, it was even worse because it happened, like, as I sat down and hit play. So either way, it, it, it's a good one. It's a good movie. I don't know why it's Michael it's Shannon is playing a character named Roberto Andres. But also, again, who cast it? Amy Adams did. Uh, I mean, is uh, she a racist? Maybe. Probably. We know she is, right? She, I mean, we know her mother is, so it would stand now that she's become her mother. It makes sense. I oh, wonder, shit, I, you're right. Yeah. I wonder what no Tom Ford color, has to say this? about this. I, I, I think oh, I should try. I want to see if I can find him talking about this, because mm. now I'm genuinely curious how much he addresses I, I feel like I have seen, um, it would be going back a few years when I like first tried to read about it. I think he addresses some, but I think he is also pretty coy, as, as he should be, I think, about this movie as yeah. far as like, well, it's kind of what you think, what, you know, whatever your interpretation is, which I think is, I, I respect that in this particular case where there's so many readings you could place on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I do like when an, a, a director is like obviously obfuscating or not giving away a lot of mm-hmm. clues, but I also like when a director will take hear the stupid ones that people say and they'll be like eh, no absolutely not that is not what i'm like jordan peele does that a lot a lot of times people have theories and he's like no that is not what's going on at all guys so i'm gonna try again love that yeah yep um and something i think that's always funny in movies like this where i always find like art galleries are such a like easy tool for movies to use as a setting and as like a character thing of like oh charlotte's an art gallery director like i don't think it's that easy to have that job and then like just live a fancy life but i feel like if anybody knew that tom ford would so i kind of believe it in this movie yeah i i 100 believe the world they're going and also like something that stuck out to me and i don't even have a thought fully formed was that she kind of made fear off of or like things that were not easy to look at like you know the women at first is a lot of times that would repulse people and also she like that big sculpture in the back of her yard was Mm -hmm. just like a big pile of garbage so it's not like she's creating beautiful things she's creating really the grotesque things these women weren't grotesque but things that people don't find traditionally visually appealing which I think also speaks to this idea that, like, she is actually an artist, that she does have an eye. She is good yeah. at her job and could have been even better at creating, but that these these things that are also very op- – you're right, because that's opposite to the art that she is ultimately um, curating, I guess, right? Goes against right. who she is – as a person in terms of how she dresses and how she presents herself, that there's that disconnect to where it's like, oh no, this, see, this isn't who you were meant to be. You were meant to be living in squalor by squalor. It's like a two bedroom apartment on the Upper West Side with Jake Dylan. All right. Oh. We all turn into our mothers. That's Apparently. The, the that's, you know, premise of the movie. It's going to happen. That's also something that, like, I do, like, hold a little bit of a grudge because I feel like I have only ever heard men say that. I remember I had a professor in college who, like, said that out loud to the class one day he's like oh man always remember when you're you know with somebody get to know their mother because that's who your your you know your partner is going to turn into and it was just such a statement that felt very like dude really um and again like i don't think women say that men turn into their fathers you know no 
I mean, I, I will say, I, I hope he might have been coming at it a little mis- misogynistically. I hope I'm not, but mm. I am turning into my mother where I I'm, go to the garage sale always, every Saturday. I've sure. always been my mother. I've pretended like I wasn't, but we're literally the same person. <laughs> so I can't really be too angry at that comparison. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty true. <laughs> exactly. And for those of us who have experienced the loss of a mother, we know that it, it exacerbates at that point, too. That's you true. start to respect the things about your mother that used to maybe annoy you or drive you a little yeah. crazy. Like my mom loved those dumb things in the garden. Like, you know, the pedestal with like the ball, the oh, reflective yes, ball. Yes, yes, the bowling ball, those, yeah. The, yeah, I used to hate those. And to the point where like sometimes I would steal one and then just throw it away in the garbage can when she wasn't <laughs> looking. Um, but now I want them. I think they're mm-hmm. so cute. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, you know, my mom had a good eye. I'm sorry I judged you so harshly. Okay. No, I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I have definitely taken on, because you, you end up going somewhere where, like, you know your mom would have done something, like, oh, nobody has put out their, I know it's a, it's a hot day, and we should have ice on the table, why didn't anybody put ice on the table? I'll go get the ice. Like, there's that, because you realize, oh, nobody's <laughs> going to do this if I don't do this, so, yeah. Yes. It's cute, and God bless having Laurel Linney as a mother, even if she is a Republican. <laughs> even with that hair. Yes. Yeah. That was supposed to be Kim Bassinger. Oh, I would have loved that. I know, I feel like that... It, I, I kind of would have gone with that, but I don't know what happened. Whatever. Hey, we get Laura Linney in a movie, which is never a bad thing. Funny, I know someone, I don't know if she'd mind me calling her out, but Amy from Night of the Living Podcast, not standing Laura Linney. Laura Linney, right? Yeah. yeah, it's so weird. I, I love her. She was on Frasier. How can you not love her? Another, again, another actress who I cast when I read quite often. Maybe. All right, well. So, see, that's what people do. That's what this whole episode was about. Exactly. This this is just kind of completing the thesis I put out a few weeks ago about that. It's important. It will enrich your reading experience if you don't already do it. That's my advice. All right. Anybody have more to say about Nocturnal Animals? I don't think so. If you haven't seen it, see it, but be prepared. There are some triggering aspects to it. There's sure. some R words. There's abduction. There's kind of a on road home invasion. Type yeah, there's thing. sexual assault. There's, yeah, yeah, it made me really uncomfortable. So I, I powered through and watched half of it through my fingers. So oh. just be aware. Oh, the things you do for us, we appreciate. It. Yeah, even though <laughs> it was you recommend you the movie. I know. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So what else is uh, happening in your world, Jason? Anything else you want to tell the fine people about? You know, I. I got a little list together of movies that I've been watching, and I and I honestly haven't watched much. I don't watch much anymore. All I'm watching is YouTube every day, all day, anytime <laughs> I'm in front of the TV, because it just tells you everything's like 15 minutes, and then it just tells you what to watch. It just plays the next thing, and I love that. I don't have to put any thought into it, but I have watched a couple movies, and I just want to, again, we were talking about Nope during the break. If anybody hasn't seen Nope, I want everybody to go see Nope, and then let me know what you think. I can talk about it endlessly. I love movies that just make me think about it for a really long time and come up with different interpretations. So if you haven't seen it, hit me up on Twitter at Fozzie Bear, B-A-R-E, and let's talk about Nope. I'll, I'll see it at some point. When it, when it comes okay, on demand, yeah. I will see it. I promise. It'll I promise. be like a week. You'll, yeah. You're fine. It'll happen. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, it, just, it happens so quickly these days. Uh, do you ha- Now, Jason, you are also out there in the world. You're on Twitter. You're writing stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there anywhere you would like to direct people to find you and learn more about uh, you? And You know, you can always follow me on Twitter, uh, Fozzie Bear, F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. Uh, that's where I post a lot. I am querying my first novel right now. Ooh. So if you see any posts about it, feel free to retweet hey, Jason, and give me some posts. Is, hey, what does querying mean when you're talking about it, that? 
submitting to a literary they call it clarion so there's a very specific formula or form that you have to use when you have to write a bio and you also have to write a query letter and there's a lot that goes into it so i'm sending these out to literary agents i've not got one positive response yet that's okay hey neither did edward that's a good point Uh uh-huh hope somebody can find my work beautiful and grotesque as well yes without that's all that's all i've got going all right, Christine, tell the people where to find you and buy your books. Um, I'm on Twitter at xteen underscore makepeace, which is my name. Um, that's my main place that I am. You can also follow the uh, the Feminine Critique uh, Facebook page. I will occasionally solicit things there. Yeah, you had an article uh, recently on What Lies Beneath, did you not? I wrote about What Lies Beneath yeah. recently. That oh, movie is... So fantastic i also wrote about cam um <gasps> which has not gotten posted anywhere yet but oh. if i remember once it does i'll put it in the, the facebook okay please do i am so happy you completed that piece about what lies beneath it's so good such yeah. a good movie thank so you about a lot it was into that. it was hard to find anybody that wanted me to write about that movie even on its anniversary which is really strange <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe it. For the sweaters alone, it's worth oh, talking about that movie. I love that movie. Good it's so good. What about you, Emily? Do you have anything? Not particularly. Nah, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter okay. at Deadly Dolls, uh, still puttering away on the blog at DeadlyDollsHouse.com, and uh, that's that's all I really, really got to say. Uh, yeah. Gonna perhaps watch some Murder, She Wrote, now that I'm in the mood for it, with the Lansbury <laughs> reference. That's all I can think about right now. Cool. Yeah. All right, folks, we'll be back uh, in time with a catch-up, and then we'll go from there on what we're watching next. And until then, stay cool and hydrate, and uh, be very careful when you drive down very dark roads. I don't really know what you could have done differently. Uh, Maybe just drive slowly behind a car driving slow and suck it up until you can pass them safely without being murdered, right? Yeah, and read books. That's the totally. point of this episode. Well, is it though? Because if you read a book and it's, it's about dangerous. a guy who's going to chop people's bodies up and then rip your heart out so he can have a heart, you know, it's, it's a dangerous slippery slope, Jason. I'm very well aware of your anti-book stance, Emily. Clearly. We've talked about this at length. I just don't want people mur- getting murdered by I- I'm Madman. That's all. I appreciate that. But right. Thank you for having me on and talking about two really great movies. This well, has been fun. Thank you for joining us and everybody else out there. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye. I love to read all by myself or with my father or mother. I love to read with my grandma or with my sister or brother. I love to read every day, it makes me so happy. I love to read all by myself or with my family. Whoa, I love to read when I wanna smile inside, any place, any time. Whoa, I love to read day or night, rain or shine, laugh or cry, feel alright. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866 420 
800-242-5330. Or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 